Good morning. I'm grateful to be here this morning. So glad we have a lot more to rejoice and sing about than a Super Bowl. Although it would have been fun to rejoice about a Super Bowl. <laughs> um, it's interesting last week. I don't know about you, but we only watched three quarters of it and then uh, kind of started packing up and heading home. And I have one of my children, I won't say who, came up to me and said, Daddy, the Broncos only have eight points. And then, what are the points for? So, it's nice to be naive like that and not have to worry about who wins and who loses. Uh, but I'm thankful we have so much more uh, to be glad about and to smile about, to rejoice regarding. And, and so we gather here this morning to do just that. That we serve the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Creator of the universe, and the one who loves us unconditionally. And we have a lot to be thankful for this morning. Uh, we have a couple of other things that we're going to do. We're going to uh, ask uh, Pastor Rudy to come up here now and uh, tell us about some uh, exciting things upcoming. We're going to kind of uh, sit down here together. I'm going to ask you some questions. Number one, he's a Seattle fan. Uh, so, Green Bay. But, but come on up, David, and I'm going to... David and the youth group here at Valley Community have a wonderful opportunity coming up here uh, in June uh, to go to another country and to serve the Lord at an orphanage in El Salvador. And I uh, just wanted to ask David a few questions, give him an opportunity to share his heart regarding this trip and uh, let our church know about it now so you can be praying. And also there's some ways that you can help as well. Um, so there's 14 teens from Valley who will be going on this trip, as well as the Hoffmans and BJ and Becca Fleming and, uh, and you and Julie. So six adults and 14 teens and a, a couple of children as well, the Hoffman kids, and uh, they're looking forward to a great trip. But David, why don't you just tell us a little bit about the orphanage that you will be serving in and uh, just share about the ministry that you'll have. Sure. So this orphanage is called the Shalom Home, and it was started right after the Civil War in El Salvador in the late 80s. And it's run by, you know, some really good Christians actually from Colorado. And this, this, this home has just really thrived over the years. They have, they have about 80 kids right now from toddler all the way up through high school age. And... They just do an excellent job of, of training these kids in, in the Word of God and, and uh, setting them on the right path. So what are some of the opportunities you guys will have? I mean, 14 teenagers, yeah. and what, what will you be able to do besides? I mean, obviously, I hope you, you'll be loving on the kids, spending a lot of time with them. Absolutely. Uh, what, what are some of the ministry opportunities that are available to you? Absolutely. We, one of the big things that we'll be doing, obviously you already alluded to it, is just loving on these kids and discipling them because we get to live right with them for a whole week. So there's going to be a lot of one-on-one time. And part of the training that we're doing before we go on this trip is to prepare to prepare our teens and our youth to really invest and, and be that older, you know, biblical discipler. Um, so we're going to be doing that. We're also going to be helping as far as painting the orphanage, because of the, the climate out there, just they're all, they always need a fresh coat of paint every summer. So we'll do some, some of the hard work like that. The church that is associated with this orphanage has a feeding program with just the local people who don't know God. And we're going to assist in the feeding program as well. And then, and then one thing they like to, the orphanage actually asked us to do was to put on like camps just to invest in the kids. So we're going to have different sports camps. We're going to have a basketball camp, a soccer camp a swimming camp and like a craft craft time. So we're working all the details out on that. Wow, yeah, you got a lot going on. Yeah. I, uh, I've been on a few missions trips. Um, as You know, as a youth pastor, we took teens. And I, I, you always go with the mindset that, you, you know, we're going to be a blessing. We're going to encourage them and just really help them in their walk with the Lord and maybe share some things that maybe they don't know. But mm -hmm. it always kind of blindsides me that God works in me and in, in, in the teens that I brought and the group that I brought w way more than it seems like maybe he even worked in the people we went to minister to. Describe mm -hmm. maybe how, what you're praying and how we can pray as a church family, how the Lord is going to work in your heart, in the teens' hearts. Absolutely. This trip. 
one of the one of the I mean actually when I before we even chose El Salvador, I met with with a guy named Chris McDaniel from Delta Ministries who was helping us put on this 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 whole mission trip, and he asked me what we were looking for, what what would be the goal for the trip, and I I said really it's that our teens, and that our whole that our whole entire team can see God move and just see God change lives in a completely different setting, just something that's totally different from from Colorado in 2014, just a different world, and to still, still see God just move and change and just make an impact in lives. And I knew that that would be the biggest thing that would impact us as the team members. So even though you're right, we want to serve, I'm sure that we're going to see these kids who, who don't have much, who don't even have a family, that still have God, their Heavenly Father, who's, yeah. who's, who's t- completely changed their life, and that's going to be a big impact on us. In a minute here, we're gonna, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture. We're going to pray about this trip and our service. But I want to ask you, I know you've been putting a lot of thought into the, the, the funds for this trip. Uh, it's expensive for all these teens. They're raising money and they're working hard. But uh, you've put some time and effort, you and Julie, into uh, a fundraiser that our church family can be a help with. And I want you to just describe that, share, share all about it so that we can, we can put that on our calendar and know what's going on. Yes, so we're having a... A spaghetti fundraiser dinner, Friday, Friday night, February 21st. And we would love to see the entire church come out to this because it really does cost some money to go out to El Salvador. It's, it's affordable, but at the same time, these kids don't have full-time jobs. They're students. And, and this, this fundraiser is going to be a great meal, first of all. The, the teens are going to make spaghetti. Meatballs? Spaghetti and meatballs. Okay. Yep. Got to get the meat in there. Um, they're gonna have they're gonna have dessert. It's gonna be a great opportunity for you to have a nice meal. Obviously, all the proceeds are gonna go straight to this trip, and we're also gonna have a lot of fun with it too. There's gonna be opportunities where you can even donate more money, whether that's um, getting a gift card from one of the best restaurants in Louisville. We've already gotten a lot of donations from just Louisville restaurants, where you can you can support this trip um, not only by your prayers. But just financially, and and you just helping out financially is is a big assist to what we're trying to accomplish here with God. So with God in this in this mission. All right. And also on that note, uh, every one of these teens has a, a mentor mm-hmm. that's helping them as they prepare for the trip. That's praying with them and, and kind of guiding them. And uh, there's a potential that people in our church will be asked to write letters and things of that nature yeah. um, and be a help in that way as well. So, Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, yeah. Well, great. Well, let me read this passage of Scripture. This is in Matthew chapter 18. I think it's very appropriate that our church is going to work with an orphanage because these are the people that God has a special heart for, um, the fatherless, the motherless, um, the people that, that don't have that love here on this earth. And so this is in Matthew chapter 18, when Jesus' disciples were kind of shooing away the children that were coming to Jesus. And um, and these questions come up, and and he says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They were wanting to know how to be the greatest. And so Jesus uses an illustration, and he says, In calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Skipping down to verse 10. Jesus says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. 
Father, we thank you for this opportunity that our church has to go to a foreign country, a country that may not have all of the amenities that the United States has, a country that has gone through a civil war recently, and a country whose children are left fatherless and motherless. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to go and serve, and we look forward to this, to impacting children. We look forward to being able to connect with them in a very real and tangible way. We look forward as well to the work that you're going to do in our hearts as a result. Fourteen teenagers and six adults and children who are going to go, that you would impact them in a great way and that you would use this in their lives, that they would be used to help the children who are in need. And Father, for our our church family, as we support them, that you would give us um, the means and give us the ability, and uh, Lord, that we would pray uh, prayerfully, uh, support them as, as they go in June. And Lord, we look forward to what you'll do. And Lord, for today, our service, um, this morning, this opportunity that we have to worship you all together, to sing these songs that mean so much, that are, are spoken, that are written from truths from your word, that we can focus upon Jesus, we can focus upon what he has done, for us and for the world, we can focus upon our responsibility that we have to love you back because of what you've done for us, the privilege that it is. And Lord, as we look into your word today, we ask for your Holy Spirit to take the words of God and supernaturally change us from the inside out, that we would learn to love one another and what that means, that we would learn to love the hopeless and the helpless and what that means. And Lord, that we would learn to love you and your word, and uh, Lord, that we would go from here a church that is vibrant and ready to impact a a needy world. Lord, no doubt there are people in our service this morning that are burdened, that have heavy hearts, that are going through things right now, that they're even wondering if you are uh, near. And Lord, we know in our heads that you are unchanging. We know that you uh, never wander away from us we know that in our heads we have asked you to help us to feel that in our hearts today we look forward to what you'll do in jesus name amen welcome to valley and uh, lord's day sunday as we open up god's word and my prayer each week is that throughout the entire service that through the worship, the testimonies, the even the announcements of a missions trip, that God's working in your heart through His Word and His Spirit where you're living right now. I'd like to begin this morning with a word, and it's a word that I almost guarantee you've used this week, and it is the first word in our passage of Scripture. We're going to be looking at the last part of Philippians chapter 1 from 27 to 30, And you can turn there or look on the screen. But it's a word that starts off, at least in the NIV translation, a word that you've used this last week. And my wife asked me, what do you want for breakfast? And I said, whatever. Now, I could say whatever in a lot of different ways. And some of those could get me in trouble. You say, whatever. 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 And I think that... Probably every single one of us have used that this week, and it's probably one of the most common words that we use in the English language. Now, not every translation of chapter or chapter 1, verse 27 will use the word whatever, but I think it, it starts us off with examining the way we respond and the way we think in our culture. And I, I started Googling this, you know, because I'm thinking, even when we use it all the time, do you really understand what it, what it means? And it says, whatever you say, I don't care what you say, it's a way of being indifferent. It's almost like it shuts down some, someone else. It's the response that you don't get to respond back to. It uh, is probably the largest word that we use uh, in cynicism. And where did we start using it this way? And... I went all the way back and found out the source. It was Archie Bunker. Now, how many of you know who Archie Bunker is? Okay. Now, that gives away your age. (laughs) All in the Family started a TV series sitcom in, I think, 1971. And his wife, Edith, 
who he called a dingbat, which I don't suggest people talk to each other this way. She's a dingbat, but Edith was always so positive. She was, everything is beautiful and wonderful, and she thinks the, every situation, she thinks the absolute best. So I don't care what scenario you get into, Edith is going to have some kind of comment about it that is, is positive. And Archie Bunker is just the opposite. He is so incredibly cynical. And so he would use that word, whatever. <clears throat> One of the colleges, uh, Marist College in, in, in 2009 and 2010, uh, voted this word the most annoying in conversation. <laughs> whatever. But that's how we begin with this word, whatever. Now, do you get cynical? I think we all get cynical. And cynicism really is the stark contrast of faith and believing. So on the one side, you have the Edith, who's positive and believing and affirming and encouraging and sees the best out of this situation. And you can only do that so long. And then you start getting a little cynical. And I, I believe this, that we, when we struggle with our faith in believing something God has said, we can tend to get cynical. And the Apostle Paul, is he launches into this text of verse 27, and it's something that's going to be hard to believe. It's hard to believe. Now, when God says something in His Word... And you're not struggling with it. You can nod your head, oh yeah, that's what the Bible says, and that's true, and, and everything. But when God says something, and it's not adding up. For example, the theme of the entire letter is this, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. <clears throat> now, how do you feel when someone keeps telling you that, and your life is like one disaster after another. You get cynical. Now, you may not say whatever to God, but that's the way you feel. It's the way you feel. Someone comes up and says, we know that all things work together for good. And we know that God is there. And God loves you. And God is all-powerful and all-wise, and all of this is working together for something good. And yet, day after day after day, you just have junk in your life. And the circumstances would, would tell you the opposite of what the Scripture is saying. And we struggle with God. I struggle with God. There's not a person here, I don't care how spiritual you are. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. When things are not adding up in a timely way, we struggle with God and we struggle with our faith. And you know what? We need to be able to talk freely about that and work through it. It's not a disrespectful thing to tell God you're struggling. So this, to me, I, I love the way Paul writes because Paul writes what we call confessionally. It's out of his experience of this struggle. And he will tell us later on in chapter 4, he's learned these things. He wasn't born this way. He, he has learned these things over time. But I find myself even, I think every single week of my life, I'm, I'm trying to talk myself back. I know God says this. I know this is true. I know His Word says this. I read His Word. I study His Word. But I cannot figure out because it doesn't seem like He's there. It doesn't seem like He loves me. It doesn't seem like he's doing anything. And, and really what you have is in your spirit toward God and toward everything around you is, is whatever. Whatever. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, he says, what, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is really kind of the, his, his statement, his challenge. So the, the whatever of the Apostle Paul is not a, a reaction. In other words, you know, usually when we say whatever, it's, it's a reaction. It's, we throw back. Uh, it, it's a cynical response to, I don't know if I believe that, I don't believe that, or, or I'm not going to go along with this. 
But Paul is is not so reactive as he is proactive. He says, whatever happens, whatever happens. And then he goes on to say, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. So he is teaching through this, whatever happens. And he has talked all through chapter 1, the last number of weeks, we've talked about the stuff that happens in your life. And there are three really primary sources of things that will rob us of our joy. I mean, just suck the life right out of you and, and discourage us. Do you remember what they were? The first one, circumstances. We can, have, we can have a certain set of circumstances that hit us. And usually what I find, it's not just one circumstance. It's like this one and then this one and this one, and they all happen at once. They're just like piled on. So circumstances come into our lives that would rob us of our joy. The second thing that Paul talked about is will rob you of your joy is people. That's not hard to follow that one. And uh, how people can so discourage you and take the joy out of your life. And, and Paul, in each one of these, tells, tells kind of the story of his own life. His circumstances are he's in chains. He's in jail. He's in prison. The people are, there are people on the outside that are Christians that are making life miserable for him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that Christians would make life miserable for you? Well, Paul's been there. And then... The third is the uncertainty of the future, which typically for most of us, we're, we're all wringing our hands about what's going to happen tomorrow, what, what's going to happen tomorrow, what, what's not going to happen tomorrow, and we're, we're worried about the future. Okay, so all of these make it, humanly speaking, just about impossible to be happy. And we talked about this before, is that God does want you to be happy. He's that kind of Father. But Paul struggles through these. Each one of these would cause a person to be cynical because if you go day after day after day after day or for years and you're not seeing evidence of God really answering prayer or being there for you, you can tend to become very cynical. Now, in some of the other translations, uh, your translation, I think ESV might use only uh, whatever happens. Instead of whatever happens, he says only or the, I think the NLT says, above all. But the idea is, above all things, when we've examined this entire chapter of what is pulling us down and causing us to be cynical and causing us to really wonder, what is God doing in our struggle with joy? He has said only this, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of of the gospel. So what he's he's challenging you to believe some hard things. To believe when it's not easy to believe. When you look around, it's it's it, I kind of get the picture of of Peter when he's walking on the water. Most of us know that story. When Peter gets out of the boat, he's walking on the water, he's looking at Jesus, but but what caused him to sink? He started looking looking around, got his eyes off Christ, and then, then fear set in. And when fear, fear is not compatible with faith, and he starts to sink. And he's crying out to God. And the same thing, that same thing happens to us. It's probably not as dramatic, but it can, in some ways, maybe more dramatic for you. But he is asking us to believe some very hard things. So conduct yourselves. The word in the Greek language, of course, New Testament is written originally in Greek, is the word polis. We get the word politics. And Paul is, is talking to an audience in Philippi. And Philippi was the first European city that Paul had evangelized. And it was a Roman colony. Paul himself was a Roman citizen. And that was a big deal in that day. And how the Romans would uh, create a... Um, a colony, a Roman colony, would be that they would take several hundred retired soldiers and move them there. And their, their families would set up, and they in their retirement would start up other businesses, but they changed the entire culture of that city. So it became a Roman colony. They changed the way the people would talk, the customs, the food. Everything got changed. And so when Paul uses this word, he knows they understand. And what he is saying is conduct yourselves not as a citizen of Rome, but a citizen of Christ. 
a citizen of heaven, a citizen of Christianity. In other words, live who you are. Who are you? If, if God has saved you and redeemed you by sending His Son to die for your sins, He has made you a new creation. Who are you? Say, I'm a child of God. Where's your home? It's in heaven. Who's with you? God's with me. He's with me all the time. We'll live that way. If this is who I am, that is how I should live. And so, Paul is reminding them, conduct yourself in a proper way. And he says something worthy of the gospel of Christ, which is Christianity. Be living a life worthy of that. Conduct yourself in that way. So it's a, it's a response that I should live out what I believe. You know, we, we talk about uh, the word hypocrisy. And it's, uh, we don't like going to church because it's full of hypocrites. <laughs> I always say there's room for one more. <laughs> you say, say, Pastor, or Matt, are you a hypocrite? I said, absolutely, because every time I don't live what I believe, I'm a hypocrite. Because, you know, we can take all of us, maybe not all of us, but a lot of you would, without thinking a whole lot, would say, I believe this book. But if you are cynical or fearful or discouraged and depressed, do you really believe it? Or you're living a life that is contrary to what God has taught you, you really don't believe it. It is hard to believe. It's one thing to say, I believe and I affirm these truths. It's a much more difficult thing to live by faith when it's not an easy thing to do that. So when he talks about this, this word worthy, and, I, and I, I love the word worthy, live in a worthy way of the gospel of Christ. The, the actual word, when it's used in the, in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, it means weight. In fact, we, would, uh, we talk about that in boxing, heavyweight. Something has weight. God has weight, substance, worth, value. So when we, when we say God is worthy, then God is full of worth. He has value. And we've talked about that as being our view of God. What, if, if, God if our view of God is that He, that he is He's eternal, He is self-existent, He is all-powerful, He is all-wise, He is good in everything He does, He is unchanging. So God has great weight. God has great worth. Well, how does that apply to living worthy? To me, it's a very simple response. Is When I walk worthy means I am affirming His worth. I affirm His worth. I shared a quote that it's not original with me, but I, I read it uh, in one of John MacArthur's books. He said, Worship is what I do when all that I am responds rightly to all that He is. So He is worthy. And my worship is affirmation. It is by my life saying yes. So when God is, is a holy, then I affirm by living Walking in holiness. If God is love, then a worthy walk is when I walk affirming His love. If God is merciful, that's His worth, then I walk worthy by affirming His mercy. You see? So we've gone back to this time and time again that, that your view of God is the most important thing about you. Because how you view God determines how you view yourself and everything else in life. And our joy is tied to that. If I start looking at all of the circumstances in life, I get very cynical. Even though I say I'm a Christian, even though I say I believe the Bible. But when I look at God and, and I affirm who He is, then I walk a worthy walk and I have joy in my life. Now, it sounds easy. It's not easy. It's not easy. Because I've got peripheral vision. You know, I can be looking at God. God, I know you're loving and kind, and I'm looking around me, and I'm thinking, everything that's happening around me is not, I'm not feeling the love. You been there? I'm not feeling the love. But I know I'm looking right up at you, God. I know you're loving because you sent your son to die for my sin, but today I'm not feeling the love. So I struggle with cynicism, and so do you. But this this is how 
we exist in life to walk or conduct ourselves as citizens of heaven, of children of God, is by right view of Him, seeing His worth, and affirming that. I think it's a, it's a, it's a, beautiful, it's a beautiful work that God is doing in us. So, he, he challenges us that whether I'm here, and I love this verse in, in verse 27 when he says, so I know that whether I come to you see, or see, uh, see you or hear about you in my absence, I will know. Kind of like the, um, Paul is like dad, you know, or like the teacher. Have you ever, I still remember when I was in school when the teacher would walk out of the room. I mean, everybody's like this. You know, what are we going to do? I don't know, what do you, what do you think you're going to do? <laughs> Because teacher in the room, there's some accountability. And Paul did hold them accountable. So whether I'm watching you do this or I'm hearing about it because I am going to hear, he is challenging them to live this way. So what does it look like? What does, what does a, a life of affirmation, a worthy conduct, a worthy life, affirming who God is, what does it look like? And there are three words that I'll just give you quickly that, that he lists in here. And, and what, he, what he says is, when I affirm the worth, the, the, uh, verse, 20, verse 27, let me grab it here, then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by, by those who oppose you. Three words that I want to give quickly. Stability, unity, and security. The first one is stability. Life is not stable. But what is unique about a Christian who believes, who's going to, it's not easy, as I said, it, who believes is a stability comes into your life. A stability. And he says this, that you will stand firm. You're not quaking. You're not moving. You're not tossed around like you're on the top of the waves like a cork. And it's because you have a right view of God and you have chosen to believe that. And the more you anchor yourself, I think primarily in Scripture of God's teaching, the more stability it brings into your life. Now, it's not perfect stability because we all of us get shaken from time to time. But stability is and should be the mark of a Christian. So when the whole world is in chaos and in fear and, and we're wondering what is going to happen next, there is something about the, the knowledge that God is great and God is powerful and God is good and God loves me. And, he, and my home is in heaven. And I believe that. I believe that. I struggle to believe it some days, but I believe that. So stability, the first word. Then he also uses the word unity, that you become one spirit. Now, I'm not sure if in your English translation it's capitalized or not, uh, which it's not going to be in the original language. But I, I don't believe this is the Holy Spirit. I believe this is one spirit. In other words, spiritually, together, uh, we have unity. So the second word, you have stability, you have unity. And unity should be in the church. It, it should mark Valley Community Church is unity. This is what Jesus prayed for in John 17. It is what He desired that His people have unity. And I think that uh, examining so much of what's going on in the world today in churches, you have churches splitting and dividing and arguing. And you know what? They're, they're not arguing over important things. In fact, I, I'll bet you if you go out and examine every single church fight and church division, rarely will it be over anything of substance. People like to argue about opinions. And, and unity is essential. So what, what is it that binds us together? It's the truth that God has revealed. You say the, the gospel, the good news, the doctrines of the faith that bring about Christianity. Those are non-negotiable. But churches divide over the color of carpet, what you believe about alcohol, 
what you believe about how people should dress when they go to church, what you, the music you're listening to. In your, I mean, we, the list goes on and on. In fact, it make you, sometimes you laugh at it, but people will actually fight over it. When we get into chapter 4, there are two women, and uh, their names are Odious and So Touchy. Uh, maybe I didn't pronounce that right, but uh, that's in the Greek. And, and, and you know what? These are good women who have labored. Paul said, these women have labored at my side. Okay, these are fellow Christians who have labored at my side. And now we've got conflict. We've got arguments. Let's not have that. Let's be unified in this. And so, stability, unity, and then the last one is security. And I love this because God gives us, in, in, in a troubling world and troubling times, such a great... Um, peace and security because he says without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you without being frightened and do you know you say does anybody oppose you <laughs> you like the whole world satan himself prince of the power of the air humanity the organized world system to live affirming god will put you in conflict with his age so if every day you get up and you get a right view of God and you affirm that with your whole being, you're going to be living in a different way. And there will be conflict. But you are absolutely secure in Him. And I love this how He says, you, without being frightened, we don't need to live in fear. Fear is not characteristic of Christianity Joy is characteristic of Christianity. Faith is characteristic of Christianity. So fear should not be what people see in me. As I said, though, it is still a struggle to process that through. So what is my security? And he says this will be a sign to them. If you go on in verse 28, he says this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. So in other words, it's a sign. For those living in fear, that's a sign. They're going to be destroyed. But for us who don't live in fear but live in faith, it affirms that we will be saved by God. This is, this is the evidence of Christianity. And then he goes on to say, For it has been granted or gifted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. Now, the cynical side could say, great. <laughs> I don't really like that verse, but it is a verse of reality. God gifts you and grants you he gives you not only for you to believe in Him as a gift, but also you suffer along with Him. And since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So Paul's saying, this is my life too. I, I've gone through this experience. This has been a struggle for me. And you've watched me. Now, the last thing that I want to wrap this up with. And I know I'm not taking a long time this morning, but I want to get this last picture of how this works. How? How does this work? Because every day I'm going to struggle with cynicism. Every day I'm going to have a lot of whatevers. Whatever. I know it's true. I see it's true. I believe it's true. I look around, whatever. And every single person here has that warfare. And I don't care if you've been walking with God for 80 years. It's a warfare to go from cynicism to belief and faith in the Lord. And I have found that in another part of Scripture that Paul illustrates this, how it works, that I'd like to, to express this morning is in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 25. I came on this this last year. It just, it just helped me understand how it works. It says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. When I know that I'm a sinner. And I, I mean, it doesn't take me long to figure that out. I don't know about you, but it doesn't take me long to figure out I'm a sinner. 
I was born that way. I choose to, I choose to live that way. I'm a sinner. And I am really hopeless when it comes to getting into a perfect heaven because I'd mess it up. But when I understand that Jesus Christ came into this world and died on the cross for my sins and took upon Himself the whole burden of my sin and, and satisfied the righteousness of God and gave to me something new, new life. He made me a new creature and He made me His Son. God made me His Son. Uh, wow. <laughs> Now, but i got to still live in this world, don't I? And living in this world is not easy. But here's what's different. God speaks to me through His Word. And when God speaks, His Word is sufficient. His Word is true. Sometimes it's hard to believe. <laughs> Granted, God speaks to me. God lets me speak to Him. In fact, He says, call unto me. God wants me to talk to Him. And, and even when I don't know what to say, He said, don't worry about that. The Holy Spirit will help you. So I could, God speaks to me through His Word. I can talk to God. And then inside of me, He said, I am giving you my Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in me. You know how long He lives in me? Forever. So... Every single one of you that have just simply, humbly believed upon Jesus, have called out to Him to be your Savior, immediately God takes up residence in the form of His Spirit in your life. He's there always. And you can go to the darkest part of the world in the most remote location. He's there. Whether you recognize that or not, He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. So God's speaking to you. You're speaking to Him. God's teaching you. Now, the Holy Spirit does a lot of things. He, he teaches us, instructs us. He convicts us. He helps us. He comforts us. You start doing a study on this. i got a sermon on all the work the Holy Spirit does. It's amazing what He does for you because He loves you. So all of this comes together when it says... Since we live by, literally, by means of the Spirit. That's how we live. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, some of the older translations will say, let us walk in the Spirit. And it'd be really easy for me to say to someone, I want you, I want you to just walk. Go walk in the Spirit. Go walk in the Spirit. But this is such a, a clear picture that he gives. The, the word walk, or we, we keep in step, is the word stoiketo. He said, I didn't really need to learn that. Well, you don't need to, you don't need to remember. But here's the picture. There, there are two primary usages in Greek culture. And the first one is, uh, is a military term for marching. And uh, Christopher, I don't want to embarrass you, but why don't you come up here for real quick for me? Because I, I, want, I want everybody to get this picture. He looked sharp, didn't he? This guy's just little, and I remember him from before at the Air Force Academy. He's a soldier, airman. Uh, says, yes, sir, to me, too. Now, I hate to put him on the spot. He's supposed to relax a little bit this weekend. But when soldiers march, there, there is a discipline. And you don't just kind of walk all over the parade ground, do you? You don't just kind of go do, you know, you, you are keeping in step. So if he's standing next to me, he is going to be taking his cue completely. And I think they do that. You probably, I'm not sure how they do it, but they probably have rows of guys and everybody's watching someone else, right? Yes, and so when I take a step, if I take a right step, he's going to take his right step. And when you watch these guys march, it's absolutely amazing. Now, the, the typical usage of this word in Philippi and in the Roman Empire was a, was a military term for marching. So when he says, keep in step with the Spirit, it's not like, okay, now when you go down here, take a right, take a left, go down here, and uh, God's will isn't that way. See, how many of you are trying to figure out what God's will is? I'll tell you what God's will looks like. It looks like this. Take a step. That's what God's will looks like. 
you keep in step with the Spirit. There is a discipline. There is, there is a connection. It is life. It is doing life together. And so many times I think, well, what's going to happen now? What's going to happen there? And so there is, there is something happening here where I am taking my cue from God's Word and my prayers to Him and His Spirit working in me. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. Thanks, soldier. Now, that, that is, to me, a picture I want you to have in your mind about walking with God. Okay? So a joyful life, a life of faith, isn't just take your Bible and go out there and do the best you can. It's, it's, it's something about discipline. Now, there is a more common usage that is even, I think, a better picture than the military term. And for this one, I'm going to ask my wife to stand. Now, see, you know, you'll know this, that I didn't ask her ahead of time because <laughs> I just know exactly what she'd say. Okay, so. Now, if you were seated down and I were to say, may I have this? Dance. <laughs> dance. <laughs> we don't dance in church. Do we do we dance in church? Dancing is all through the Bible. David is doing it all the time. So get over that real quick. The term, the term really, keep in step, stoikeo, is the word for dancing. So, now I'm only going to do this with my wife, so I mean this is a... But if, I, but if, <laughs> but if, I, if I'm with my wife, it's not, it's not just a discipline. It's a relationship. It's a, rela- it's a connection. Okay? So if I have with Diane with here, and I'm not going to show you how to dance... But every step, you look at the picture up there, keep in step, and all she needs to do is stay with me, is to stay with me. And that's exactly how we walk with the Lord. Thanks, hon. Yeah, you can go. (laughs) You know, and I I love the way, to me, the the richness of the language of that. That's what I want today for you to leave this service within your mind. It is hard to believe. When you go through this life, when you, this week, and then you've been through last week, it's going to be easy to be cynical. It's going to be hard to live in faith. It's just hard. There are going to be things that happen to you with people and circumstances and future uncertainties that are going to suck the joy out of your life. But if you can remember this, and I hope it doesn't sound irreverent, dance with the Spirit. Dance. That's the Greek word. I didn't make it up. Dance with the Spirit. It is a discipline because you're going to want to go your own way. But more importantly, it is a relationship that you have. And so every step, I'm listening to His voice. I'm talking to Him through my frustrations. I'm recognizing His Spirit. And see, every step that I take with Him is affirming who He is, is affirming who He is. And you know something, folks? It never gets easy. It never gets easy. I find right now it's probably as hard as any time in my life to keep in step with the Spirit. But there is a sweetness and a joy. And, and when you talk about those, those three of being stable we have we have the stability we have unity and we have security all that comes stability and unity and security and that people look at and they say you're not like the rest of the world well it's not me it comes from that relationship with Christ let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we conclude our service this morning uh, I just want to give you a few moments to contemplate what we've been talking about. What have been your whatevers this past week? Because I know you've said it. (laughs) I heard you say it. Whatever. How have you struggled with being cynical with God? Maybe because of His delay. Maybe because He's not working the way you thought. What's the struggle like? And I think right now is just to cry out to God right in your seat, right, right in your own heart and mind. Say, Lord, help me. I need help. I need help. 
Because I know it's true about all you say you are, but I struggle to believe it. Help me just to keep in step with your Spirit. To study your Word. To call to you in prayer. To listen to your voice. And to just stay with you. Just to stay with you. Stabilizing my life. Unifying my life with you and with others. Giving me the security that I need. So just take a, a moment or two and pray and ask for God's help in this. If you have never in your life come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and had that relationship with Him, it's as simple as this. It's to say, Lord, I need you. That's what He's saying. Lord, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I need you. Please be my Savior. That's all you need to do. God does the work of saving you. And then you start to grow. And that's where we want to be able to help help you do that. So just spend a couple moments and then we'll close with a song.